You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 2, we'll read, it will not be as long as this morning. I was watching faces turn blue and, you know, all kinds of stuff go on this morning. And, uh, and so, but sometimes, you know, it's good because you sit a long time after too. So uh, we try to balance it out and uh, it's for your health. We'll just say that. So no, we do, res- we do stand out of respect of God's word. And just because it seems to be an old Testament Bible pattern, especially. Um, and then just, just to, you know, I, we, we are raising a generation of young people that are in a culture that has no respect for God's word. And in my opinion, then, just to stand out of respect of God's word itself makes a statement. And so if someone else doesn't do it, I, you know, I, I don't have any, obviously, any problem with that. But I, I would like, there's plenty of things that, that we do, that I do in life. It's not like right or wrong, but I'm like, well, what, what kind of statement could it make if we did do this? And so sometimes you have to think about it on those, those levels and, uh, and so that's why we do that. James chapter 2, though, is where we're going to be. We're back in James 2 after the last time was about a month ago. And we looked at the first 13 verses. And we saw how when people would come into the church, uh, James, James was re- in some ways, very many ways, rebuking um, his readers for treating those that came in with good apparel one way and then those that came in were clearly poor a different way. And he said, God is impartial to you. You should be impartial to other people. And, uh, and so that was kind of the message, the idea last time. Um, but then we, we uh, kind of came up with this statement at the end. People made by mercy should be marked by mercy. Right. If you and your life have benefited from God's mercy, then you should seek to benefit somebody else with mercy. And so it's one thing. It's like the servant that, that was forgiven of a lot and and said thank you to his master and then turned around and for a very small fraction wouldn't forgive somebody that owed him money. And if we're not merciful to others when we've received mercy from God, there is judgment to be had. And so that was the last message. And tonight's message really gets into the crux of the matter, faith works. This is kind of the central passage in the chapter or in the book, I should say. We're not going to really get into all of it tonight. We're just kind of do an introductory, an introductory thought and then maybe do more exposition next time. But let's read beginning in verse 14, James chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14, and let's read it together. If you could read it out loud, just uh, starting verse 14 down through the end of the chapter, James two fourteen. ready, begin. What doth it... Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness... And he was called the friend of God. Ye then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, 
so faith without works is dead also. Uh, this is a, this is a, can be a confusing text if you're not careful or comparing it. So I'd like to compare it to other passages of Scripture in the New Testament tonight just so we can get a full understanding and to do more exposition next time. But I've got just three questions to start with. Number one, do you have faith? And I hope you do. I hope you have faith. But if there's an even better question, and the better question is, do you have works? But the best question is, do you have faith that works? Because a lot of people say they have faith and no works. And there's a lot of people that have works and don't believe in much. But do you have faith that works? That's the idea tonight, and we'll get into this um, as we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the idea, Lord, of, of the proof of our faith. And, and I'm thankful that we have accountability in this issue and that it's, not e- it's easy just to claim faith, but it's, it's much more difficult when, Lord, there, there's evidence to be had. And, and we're not judging other people. We're not, we're not making judgments on anybody else in the room, but I pray that tonight you would help every person sitting in this room to hold up the Bible and look into it like it's a mirror. And that mirror, Lord, I pray would reveal what, where our faith really is. Are there works present, Lord, or is it just simple intellectualism, or is there evidence that faith has taken hold? God, help us each to examine ourselves, and I pray that you'd help my voice, help me to be strong tonight, um, and be able to convey this this evening. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we, as we begin this tonight, I was thinking about faith and how faith is so important to the Christian life. Uh, we're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 um, says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. In that not of yourselves, it is the what? It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was talking about that verse with somebody just this week, dealing with salvation and, uh, and letting them know, reminding them that our works, if it's something you can see, it can't help you get saved. And uh, we are saved by faith. But we also, though, we walk by faith, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And not only that, then we must have faith if we have any desire to please God. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then Romans 14, 23 takes it even a step further. It says what, if we, uh, what we do apart from faith is sin. So faith has a lot to do with our Christian lives. Faith is a big part of it. And, and, uh, but how do you know if you have faith? How do you measure faith? I, I was reading uh, some uh, quotes from a psychologist this week, Dr. Alfred at Alder and and he holds to this interesting theory. And it, when he deals with people, he says, trust only in movement. See, he says, life happens at the level of action. And he goes on to say, we are not what we say, but we are what we do. And what we do, that's the real key to our intentions. Trust only in movement. That's his philosophy as a psychologist. And he said, well, why are we quoting psychologists? Well, it sounds like Dr. Adler has discovered something, a truth that God's word actually teaches. See, it's the message of James when he said, be ye doers and not hearers only. See, what James is trying to get his readers to understand is faith plus nothing equals nothing. Faith plus nothing equals equals nothing. You say, well, I don't like the sound of that. We'll try to clarify it as we go. But James 2 is about faith that equals nothing. He calls it dead faith. Three different times in the text that we read, he says that is dead faith. That is dead faith. That is dead faith. And the premise that James works with is when someone has dead faith, they they tend to substitute words for deeds. They tend to talk big. They tend to, to, to make up for what they lack in their deeds with what they say with their words. And James is trying to get them to understand that you are what you do. You are not just what you say. You can convince a lot of people. I could convince people 
that I'm a mechanic, but if, you, if I go down to the garage and try to work on a car, you would know very quickly that what I say is not what I am. I could go try to work with Brother Juan in a construction project, and I could say I'm a, I'm a carpenter, but it wouldn't take long for you to realize that what I say is not what I am. It's easy to say you are something, but really that doesn't prove what you are. What you do proves what you are. And the conclusion that James comes to is the people that say that they have faith, but they don't have works to back it up, that they have dead faith. And what he's saying is that the level of their faith is not saving faith. And there's a kind of faith in God that doesn't save. And again, you you say, well, you're walking on thin ice tonight. No, I'm, I'm trying to tell you what James is saying and... And you start to realize that this has proof, this has evidence in Scripture. And we actually may spend more time out of James 2 tonight than we do in James 2. Because I'd like to just show you some verses and maybe even build some kind of a case for this premise before we jump into the exposition. So keep your place here in James chapter 2 in case we decide to come back to James 2. And then we'll go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This is uh, John the Baptist's ministry. That's what the heading in John 3 says um, in my, I'm sorry, Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist's ministry and, and he's preaching and he's preparing people for, for the Lord's coming, Matthew chapter 3. And it deals with the ministry of John. Look what he says in verses 7 through 9. He says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, would you say that Pharisees and Sadducees would be in the category that says they have faith. Yeah, they talk a big talk, don't they? Well, here's what he says, though, about them. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come to his baptism. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, Well, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So what Abraham, sorry, what John was saying, not Abraham, what John was saying was don't trust in your heritage as children of Abraham to prove that you have faith. Just because you come from Abraham's family, that doesn't mean you have faith. He's saying let your works prove that you have faith. Because anybody can say, I come from Abraham. He says, but where are the fruits of of repentance? Where's the evidence in your life? Uh, You say you're an apple tree, so where's the apple? You say you're a Christian, so produce the works of a Christian, he says. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. If you say that you have faith, where's your gentleness? Where's your love? Where's your joy? Where's your peace? Uh, Christian, don't trust your heritage to prove you have faith. Because many of us in here, we have a goodly heritage when it comes to Christianity, don't we? I mean, I was raised in a pastor's home. Uh, my, my, my dad was a pastor all my life and until I became an adult. And then he, uh, he started teaching at a Bible college, but he's a preacher still. I was raised in church. I mean, every Sunday, uh, I, I have a goodly heritage. My, my wife, her testimony is very similar to mine. Uh, raised in church, her dad's a pastor. We were in church from the time we were young, every Sunday. I mean, before we were born, we were in church. And we have a goodly heritage. We have a strong Christian heritage. But what John would say to me or to say to my wife or say to you who was raised in church is he would say, you can't trust your heritage to prove your faith. What your dad did doesn't have anything to do with your faith. What your grandpa did doesn't have anything to do with your faith. That's not faith. He says, don't trust your heritage. That doesn't mean you have faith. Let's, so look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 16, it says, just probably maybe on the same page or a page over, this is Jesus talking now. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's Jesus talking and he says, the light that you and I are supposed to shine is not in our words, it's in our deeds. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works works and we can say we are who we claim to be but we don't convince anybody until they see our actions 
Our witness is either confirmed or contradicted by our works. I mean, it's, I remember um, as a young man, I, I was, uh, we, had, we had a van route when I was a teenager and we would pick kids up and I would visit on Sundays and, and there was this dog and I just did not like this dog at this one house. At one point, the dog had tried to chase me or bit me or something. I had a vendetta against this dog. So one day we went and the dog was just snarling and jumping at us. And as we're leaving, I, pull, I pick up a little lump of dirt and threw it at the dog. Well, little did I know that the people that lived there were watching. So they stepped out. It's not funny. They yelled at me. <laughs> no, they stepped out and they said, said I, they literally hear the words they said. They said, I can't believe you claim to be a Christian and you throw rocks at people's dogs. He said, we're not going to send our kids back on the van route. And I felt about this small. I tried to apologize, but they were having none of it. And what I learned that day is they didn't care who I claimed to be. They were watching me. And our works, friend, you can claim to be a Christian, but if at work... Uh, your words don't back that up. Your, your deeds don't reveal that. You can say all you want. You go to Eastside. But I'm telling you this, people are watching your deeds. And your deeds are, are backing up or they're contradicting what you say. Look at Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is Jesus Christ again talking. And he's talking about um, the, the, last, the judgment. He's talking about as people are entering into heaven, into eternity, says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. See, it's not the sayers, it's the doers. And I want you to understand too, don't get ahead of me and don't assume that I'm saying that if you work hard enough, you can make your way into heaven. It's not what I'm saying at all. We'll look at that. But it's not the sayers, according to Jesus, it's the doers. James said, it's not the hearers, it's the doers. If you combine those two things, then you have to understand, and it becomes clear that it doesn't matter what you hear or how often you hear it. And it doesn't matter what you say or how often or strongly you say it. It matters what you do. So it doesn't matter how many sermons, friend, that you've sat through. And some of us, some of you have sat through a lot of sermons. And you've sat through and you've heard a lot. But what James already told us, it's not about what you hear. It's not in, in, listen, tonight you may even be a teacher at Eastside Baptist Church and you've taught a lot of lessons. Hundreds, maybe thousands of lessons. And James is telling you, it's not what you've said. Even if you've stood in front of people, even if you've opened the Bible, even if you've claimed to have this knowledge and that knowledge, it is not what you hear, it is not what you say, it's a matter of what you've done. Has that proven it? John 2, look over there. John chapter 2. We'll look toward the end of the chapter, verses 23 and 24. John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and the things that were happening. Look at 23, John 2, 23. It says, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. That's verse 22, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day... Many believed in his name. And you might say, amen. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But look what he says in verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So we say, well, they said they believed. They, got, they even got excited about it. Many believe, people believe, that's great. But we have an example here of, I believe, dead faith because it says Jesus didn't commit himself unto them because he knew what kind of faith they actually had. They saw the miracles and they liked the miracles. They said, this guy is for real, but it apparently wasn't saving faith. 
Look at John chapter 3, verse 1. It carries the thought. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. So he says, we know thou art a teacher come from God. So I think it's pretty clear that Nicodemus has a certain level of faith. He says, I know. Uh, you know, faith is knowledge and faith is belief. I know, I believe that you're a man, a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that we just talked about. No more man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And you might say, well, here's Nicodemus and Nicodemus has faith. But is it saving faith? Well, according to Jesus' answer, it wasn't saving faith because Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's Nicodemus saying, We believe that you're a teacher from God. Nobody can do these miracles except they're from God. I know it. Why? I believe it strongly. Me and all my friends, we all believe this. And Jesus says, Okay, but saving faith is this. So we start to get to the point to understand that, that it's not just what you say you believe, even if you believe it. Belief is not enough without transformation, according to Jesus. See, folks, there is such a thing as non-saving faith. That's what James is talking about. Belief is not sufficient unless it involves a new birth being transformed, which in turn produces works or fruit that points to saving faith. And plenty of people, listen, plenty of people believe in God. Plenty of people say, I I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. But many, and dare I say, on planet Earth, if you're looking at numbers, I would say maybe most people that say they believe in God and even say they believe in Jesus, they believe facts about God, and they know facts about Jesus Christ, but they've not made a commitment to him. And their life has manifested no change that should accompany the transformation of salvation. I I read just this week, I saw an, an, an interview with somebody, and I know it's a sensitive subject, but hear me out, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to weigh what's happening in our culture versus what's happening in God, what God's word says. But I saw an interview this week about um, a young man. Um, he's in his 20s and, and he uh, is part of the LGBTQ community. And he calls himself an LGBTQ Christian. And he has joined and even been baptized into a large non-denominational church here in the United States. And he's serving and he's involved. And this interview is basically about this person saying, I'm able to identify how I want to identify and I can be part of this Christian church still. And they say the right things in the interview and they talk about Jesus like you or I would talk about Jesus. They affirm what we believe about God and they affirm what we believe about Jesus. But I'm just telling you, according to scripture, the lack of transformation in that person's life, in my opinion, very clearly shows that they have not received saving faith. And listen, I understand that. I don't doubt that people struggle with certain sins. That's not what I'm talking about. If not for God's grace, what kind of mess would we be in? But it's one thing to fail. It's another, though, entirely to claim to have saving faith, but in having saving faith, not producing any change at all. Saying, I can be who I want to be. I don't have to change anything, but I can just add Jesus into my life. And I believe that's happening in far more churches and in, in faith communities than we recognize it's happening. Don't change anything. Just add Jesus. You don't have to change. But Jesus said, well, listen, Nicodemus, it's great that you believe I'm a teacher from God. It's great that you like the miracles and all these people behind you that they like the miracles. He says, but, but except the man be born again. Unless there's transformational saving faith, um, transformational faith, it's not saving faith. John's message was so important. He's saying, where's the fruit of repentance? Where's the proof? 
You can say what you want, but how does it show up in your life? It's like the state of Missouri. If you've ever been to Missouri, then you can believe it. Their motto is the show me state. Missourians are known to be stubborn. Anybody from Missouri here tonight? Man, okay, Brother Mark Ledoux. Oh, okay. See, Brother Mark Ledoux. The show me state. They're stubborn. Uh, they, they don't believe anybody. They don't take anybody at face value. They, you know what? They, uh, somebody from Missouri, they're going to say, prove it. Prove it to me. You know what James is telling us? Prove it. Don't just say it. Don't just claim it. Don't just use your words. Use your works. Prove it. It's kind of like in horse. And I'm not a great basketball player, but I've played enough horse in my life to know there's, there's a, a way to play horse. Well, if you don't understand what horse is, you start with no letters and you and another person, they shoot first. If they make it and you shoot and miss it, you get a letter. Now you're an H. So you go through and on the last letter, let's say the person, let's say it's a Bishu and I, um, I'll be the one that makes it. Okay. So let's say it's a Bishu and I, uh, he's from India. He's a soccer guy. I mean, they don't play basketball. Okay. So I make the basket and it's an amazing shot. I do a 180 and, and I dunk it and then come land gently. I said, all right, your turn, Abishua. So he tries it and of course he barely gets off the ground. It's like, pastor, I cannot jump like you. And I know, I mean, clearly. So he tries it and he misses it. Now he has an E, H-O-R-S-E. And most of the time that's out unless you're playing it this way where you say, okay, now prove it. He says, okay, prove it. See, what, he, what he's telling me is what you just did is probably a fluke. And I don't believe you can make that exact shot again, so prove it. So I get the basketball, I do the shot again. If I make it, I just proved it and he's out, which is what happens. <laughs> now on some far-flung scenario that I miss... This one time, then he's back in the game with an H-O-R-S until the next shot. So, because um, then he's out the next shot, but uh, clearly, but prove it. That's what, he's, that's what James is saying. Prove it. You say it, prove it. You say it, show me. And, and really this entire book is a book of those kind of tests. These bo- a book of James saying, prove it. Prove your faith. Prove that the faith you claim isn't dead faith. The first test in James chapter 1 was the test of trials. And he, and he was talking about, we already went through it. Your response to the troubles of life will prove it. How you respond to your troubles, to your trials, that proves your faith. That's test one. Test number two was the test of temptation. We looked at that in James chapter one as well. Your ability to resist temptation when you're tempted to sin. If you give in, you've just proven it. If you're able to withstand with maturity, you proved it. So prove it. Test number three came at the end of of chapter one. It was essentially how you respond to the word. Are you just a hearer? Are you a doer? It's the test of doing. And James says, prove it. Test number four was in the beginning of chapter two when he says you've got these people coming in. It's the test of impartiality. One comes in with, bat, with old ratty clothes. Another one comes in with, with nice fine looking clothes. And, and when it comes to the poor and the needy and the rich in your services, do you receive one better than the other? Do you treat one with impartiality? It's, the te- it's a test of faith. And what James has said over and over and over and over again. And James is he's saying prove it. So now James gives test five, and this is the test of works. And our works will prove whether or not we have dead or living faith. And I believe that this test connects the dots to the other tests because all the other tests, are they result in works. They result in us doing something, in us proving it. And right here we come to the central point of the chapter, right in the middle of the book. And James is saying the best proof of your faith is with your works. Godly behavior, in essence, is obedience to God's word. It's what he talked about in James 1.22. Are we doers or are we hearers? And here it is. Here's the whole idea. Our works reveal the condition of our faith. Our works reveal the condition of our faith. 
It's either dead or it's alive. And you can say it's alive all you want, but your works speak the loudest. Now, one thing we've got to understand is that James is not talking about salvation. And I think that's been clear so far, but it needs to be dealt with again. There are many people that would say that James and Paul are opposed, that they're contradicting each other. If you read what Paul says regarding faith, Christ alone, it's not of works. And he spent so much time then teaching it's about faith and Christ alone. And even the song tonight that and Shannon was singing in that, that verse, you know, it's not about what we've done. It's about Jesus Christ alone. It's about what God can do, not what I can do. And then they say that James comes in and contradicts that and that he teaches that it's works and it's become, it's something of a controversy, but an understanding of the two men and their target audience will help you realize they're not standing face to face fighting each other. But as one commentator put it, they're standing back to back and they're fighting opposing foes. See, it's, it's not possible, and I'll say this as clearly and dogmatically as I've said anything else today, it is not possible to be saved by works. James is not teaching anything inconsistent. Paul already wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, we're not saved by, by works, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We're created in Christ Jesus, though, on two good works. Once you've been saved, there's a transformation. But works has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation, though, will always produce good works. We already looked at Matthew 3, 5, 7, John chapter 2 and 3. James is not taking it <coughs> issue with, with Paul's teaching. He's not at all. No, rather, he takes issue with a perversion of Paul's teaching. See, Paul taught, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are, are saved. But his own writing shows he means more than just, even Paul, he meant more than just intellectual acknowledgement. See, so James is attacking the notion that faith is just head knowledge. Because there were people saying that faith is you simply saying you have faith. James had a problem with that. He's asking for evidence. It's not what we say, it's what we do, remember. And James and Paul have different emphases, emphases because they deal with different stages of the Christian journey. They're starting at different places. Think about it. Paul is very often writing to these letters to these cities and to these churches and to these people and he's telling them for the first time how to be saved. They don't know. He's teaching them about salvation, how to be regenerated, how to be made alive. Well, that's, is that what James has been doing this whole time? No, he's writing to believers that need to grow up. That need to get mature. So Paul starts at the embryo stage. He starts at conception. But James is pushing for maturity. It's almost like Paul is talking to the infants in the group. But, but James is talking to the teenagers in the group who've been riding their parents' coattails for long enough and it's time for them to start revealing some works of their own. Yeah. Good. And that's why the, the content of Paul's letters and James' letters would be different. There's a different audience. There's a different target. Paul is explaining how one gains entrance into salvation and James is examining how one gives evidence of salvation. It's not contradictory, it's just different. So it's not possible to be saved by works, but here is our takeaway tonight. It is possible to have faith that's dead. It is possible to have faith that's dead. Even in the early church, there were those who claimed to have saving faith that didn't. And anytime you have something genuine, you're going to have something that's a counterfeit, like money. I remember one time I was driving in Oklahoma and uh, if you know anything about Oklahoma, you better have cash on hand, at least you used to, because everything's a toll road. They're charging you for everywhere you drive. It's ridiculous. I'm still mad about it. I've been, I moved away for three years. Well, now you know why I moved away, okay? <laughs> so, so I was going through this toll booth and I pull out a 20 to give to the person working there and, and they took it from me and then they looked at it and then they disappeared. I was like, what's going on? So they came back with a supervisor and the supervisor looked and then very soon, not long right after that, a highway patrolman had pulled up 
in front of my car and directed me over to the side of the road. I said, great, I, I mean, I'm going to jail for life. This is not good. You always, I, I do, I jump to the worst conclusion. It's like they're going to say I'm printing money back in my church office. <laughs> so I can just tell you this, I've not been printing $20 bills because if I printed money, they would be hundreds. So you're going to get in trouble. So the bummer of the thing is, you know, they, they said this, this is a $20 bill, it's a fake. Uh, we've had a problem with people printing money and, and you happen to get one, do you know where you got it? And I said, I got it from my wife. No, no, I said, <laughs> no, I got it from the gas station. And so you gave them the information. They said, okay, well, um, you know, thank you for your, your time and your information. I said, well, am I free to go? And they said, no, you still have to go pay the toll. Like, what? So they took the 20 that I thought was a real 20 and then I had to go get real money and give it to them and pay to drive through the toll still. That's not fair. But you know, just like money, there are counterfeit Christians. There are those who look the part and they claim to be genuine, but upon closer examination, you look into their life and you start to realize they don't bear the marks of genuine faith. That's what James is telling us. And friend, it is possible to claim to have living faith, but in reality have faith that is dead. And I mean, I was just trying to think of a way to illustrate it. And I have this basket in my office from when we first moved here, I think. Y'all got me this basket. It used to be full of snacks, okay? So you know. So let's say then that I am, I'm an, I, I own an apple orchard. And so I go around and tell people, yes, I own an apple orchard and, and uh, you know, and I'm carrying this basket around. What do you assume is in the basket? Apples. Oh, yeah, you own an apple orchard? Let me see. And then I show you the basket. And you say, well, that's not very impressive. Yeah, I mean, if I claim to be an apple uh, farmer, do you call him a farmer? Okay, if I, came, if I own an apple orchard... You would expect me to have apples in my basket. But it, so, so if I say that I own an apple orchard and I carry a basket and I never have any fruit in my basket, you know what you would say to me? I'm not sure I believe that you own an apple orchard. And you know what you might say to me? Prove it. You might say to me, show me. I've got some time right now. Let's go to your orchard. And let's, let's see what your orchard looks like. Let's look at your trees and let's, let's see if they're producing any apples because I'm not sure that I believe it based on the fact that you're carrying a basket and you've got no works to show it. And friend, a lot of people say I have faith, but they live for themselves. They say I follow Christ, but they're as selfish as can be. A lot of people say, I follow the Lord, I've got faith. And they give no honor, though, to God's word. There's no hunger at all for God's word. And I'm not trying to cast doubt on anybody, but I know, I know young people um, that, that have no desire to read God's word ever. I know young people that when the preacher starts, I mean, their brain checks out and they, they, they would rather be anywhere else. And, and teenagers have admitted that to me. Um, and adults haven't admitted that to me. But, but I'm just telling you, I, I wouldn't doubt. There's adults in here. And I'm just saying, listen, if you know God and you claim to have faith and you're walking around with an empty basket, and prove it. Yeah. It's time to show something. Right. We, we say, I mean, we dress the part and we look the part and, and everything looks great, but we're walking around with empty baskets. And we say we're something, but are we doing something? Because it's not what we say. We just looked at verse after verse after verse from John the Baptist and Jesus himself. It says it's not about what you say. It is about what you do. You can say you have faith, but if you don't prioritize God's house. I mean, if it doesn't take, take much for you to skip a service when Jesus Christ loved and died for the church. Well, maybe it's time to prove it. 
I mean, as a Christian, you can say all you want that you have faith. Where's the fruit of repentance? Where's the evidence that you are who you say you are? Where's the fruit of the Spirit? If you can hardly have a conversation with someone without it turning carnal or harsh or short or impatient, where's the proof? Because the Bible says if you have legitimate saving faith, faith that's alive, it will be evident in the things that you do and the way that you live. Christian, if you lack joy, do you have saving faith? Because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. So if you legitimately have saving faith, but you are lacking in the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, then you're missing that fruit of repentance. And maybe you need to examine yourself. And I'm not trying to cast any doubt on somebody's salvation tonight. I'm trying to get you to, to examine yourself. If someone, listen, if someone hurt you in the past and they try to walk back into our church and you see them or you see them at the grocery store and you give them the cold shoulder and you treat them like they're an outcast, I'm wondering, do you have saving level faith? I'm not saying that it's not, that it's, that it's uh, not hard to forgive somebody but if there's fruit that proves you're a Christian, if there's any fruit that proves you're a Christian, it probably ought to be forgiveness because that's a supernatural divine thing that most people can't just conjure up on their own. But if you are a child of God and you have salvation level faith, forgiveness ought to be a part of your life. And if you can't forgive somebody, maybe you ought to examine and say, do I have dead faith? If you have words without works, James is asking you that question tonight. Do you have faith that saves? He says, can that faith save him? If your words save faith, but you have no works, is that truly saving faith? Can the kind of faith that produces no works actually be called salvation level faith? Can all words and no works faith be genuine? You start to read the Bible and understand what it says in many of the passages we've read tonight, and you may start to question that. If someone says they have faith in their words, but they don't have any evidence in their works. I'm not saying it's our job to go around and point fingers, but it is our job to examine ourselves. And it is your job tonight to examine your life and say, I have faith. I know I have a certain level of faith, but do I have saving faith? Do I have salvation level faith? Do I have faith that's alive or do I have faith that's dead? Because if I'm walking around carrying an empty basket, my faith is dead. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, the last thing I would ever want to do is acknowledge or come to terms with the fact um, or, or recognize someday that I have been walking around as a Christian with dead faith. Because you know what the Bible says? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means it's possible for you to live your whole life with dead faith and never please God with your life. That's serious. It's scary. And I'm telling you, I don't want to be surprised with that. I want to know that I've got living faith, so I need to take seriously the examination of myself to make sure that my faith is alive. And I mean, James's audience, this was hard. They'd come out of a works-based cell religion and they'd been raised with the heavy burden of works and trying to earn it with God. So when they discovered salvation in Christ alone, you talk about freedom. Those of you that have been in prison, I mean, you walk out of that prison cell and you walk out of that prison and you just probably want to run and skip through the fields. Feels so good. If you came out of a toiling religion and you've discovered the freedom that comes in Christ through grace and forgiveness and mercy, what a relief. It's got to feel great. But it also appears that they went from one ditch of heavy works to the other ditch of no works. Because James is having to deal with them about having no works. And in doing so, from going from the ditch of works to the ditch of no works, they ditched the works. And James is trying to get them to see works still matter, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Being saved is such a transformational event in our lives that if it doesn't produce works, we must evaluate how genuine our salvation is. 
I mean, I think about it like marriage. When my wife and I got married, you know, that day, everything changed. I didn't go back home to, or go back to the place I was staying and sleep in that twin bed. And I didn't, I, you know, we, I didn't say, all right, good to see you, glad we're married. And then hop in my car and drive off in a separate way. I mean, I, we didn't get married. And then I got in my car and drove back to Oklahoma and left her in California. I took her with me, kicking and screaming. <laughs> you know, when you get married, you know, you're, I mean, everything changes. It's all different. But if you get married and nothing changes, you know what I would start to question? Are you married? Did you really get married? I mean, prove it. Show me. Well, it's the same thing in salvation, except salvation is even more transformational than marriage. Because salvation changes you from the inside out. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so for us then to claim, I've got saving faith, but not to have any transformation or anything different. Man, it starts to wonder, man, I need to examine my basket. Maybe that's what we need tonight. As an introduction um, to this passage about faith works, maybe we need to stop and just examine ourselves and ask God for help. Have I been talking more about faith? than I have been proving I have faith. Words, has it been more words or has it been more works? I mean, we believe, we know the facts, yet we've got a strong statement of faith, the whole thing, it's on our website. We're Baptists, we believe, we're strong. We know the stories, great. But what do our works say about the condition of our faith? Because our works either say living faith or dead faith. It is possible to have dead faith. So how alive is your faith? I don't mean you get emotional when certain songs are sung. I mean, listen, I love when certain songs are sung. The song, choir saying that God can. Boy, I was excited. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will. The choir sang that last week. I wanted to float away. It was so good. Well, I'm not not what I'm talking about when I say, do you have living faith? Because anybody could get emotional in music. No, I'm talking about your works. It's one thing to be emotional. It's another to prove that you are saved with your works. And I don't mean that you have scripture memorized. Show me your works. I don't even mean you sat through a lot of sermons or taught a lot of lessons. It's not what you hear and it's not what you say. Show me your works. Living faith is like a tree with green leaves and healthy fruit and the bark is strong and it's not discolored and the roots are deep and they're strong and saving faith will produce a tree like that. And if you've got saving faith, living faith, you're going to walk around and your basket's going to be full of apples and everyone will know what you say is true. But if you have dead faith, you'll say all you want to that you own an apple orchard, but listen, there's nothing to prove it. Nothing to show. Maybe it's even still a tree, but the leaves are all off or dead. The bark is discolored and peeling off and it's leaning because the roots are weak. And one major storm like the one we just had will take that thing down. So I'm just asking tonight, is your faith word-based or work-based? Meaning, is your claim to Christianity what you say or what you've done? Do you have an empty basket faith? If so, it may mean that you're, it may mean that you're not saved. I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to get anybody lost tonight, but we ought to be willing to ask ourselves those questions. You know, but what it really could mean is it could mean you're not healthy. See, you had saving faith at one point, but now your faith is dying. You don't have to be a fake tree to not produce fruit. By that I mean, yeah, a fake tree won't produce fruit, but fake trees aren't the only ones not producing fruit. There are plenty of real trees that had at one point real faith, strong faith, living faith, but they're just now unhealthy. And the point James is making is this, we need to examine ourselves to make sure we don't have dead faith. Do you have dead or living faith? I don't, and I don't mean how do you feel about it. I mean, what do your works say? 
Not your words, your works. Do you want living faith? Maybe somebody needs to be saved tonight. That'd be great. But maybe you just need to get out of the ditch. And you've been sitting there for a long time. And you've gotten accustomed to the pew you sit in. You've got accustomed to the, to the schedule that you keep. Um, and you just kind of come and you sit. But let me remind you, James even said himself, it's not about how much you hear. It's about what you do. And maybe you've been teaching for a long time and you've been in church for a long time. You've been serving for a long time and you've said a lot of truth, but it's not even about what you say because Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. It's not about what you say and it's not about what you do or what you, what you hear. It is about what you have done. If works reveal the condition of your faith, is your faith dead or alive? See, faith, I heard somebody say one time that faith, it's either in your head or it's in your heart or it's in your hands. And listen, it ought to be in all, all three places. There ought to be a lot that you know about God's word in your head because you study and you love it. There ought to be a lot of God's word in your heart because you memorize it and it's transformed you. But there really ought to be a lot of God's word that shows up in your hands in your actions. And some people, when it comes to God's word, it stops right here. And they know a lot about it, but it doesn't ever do transforming work. For some people, the work has been done, but long time ago, they stopped working to prove it. But for all of us, we ought to say, I want it in my head, my heart, and my hands, because I want to know it, I want it to transform me, and I want it to show up in the things that I do every day. So where's your faith right now? Did it stop in your head as it moved into your heart? Is it showing up in your hands? Faith in your head is dead. Faith in your heart is a start. And faith in your hands is faith that stands. Faith in your head is dead. Faith in your heart, that's a good start. But faith in your hands is faith that stands. Do you have dead or living faith tonight? Let's examine ourselves. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Appreciate your attention to God's word tonight. Let's do some self-examination. It's possible to have had faith so long that we've gotten used to not producing works. And I'm telling you, there's no faith without works. Do you have dead faith tonight? Has it, has it grown cold? Has it grown stagnant? Where are the works to prove that you have genuine faith? That's the question. Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.